Mia Culpa is coming live to Los Angeles Tuesday, November 1st. Michael's guests will include the Emmy Award-winning comedian Kathy Griffin, former Deputy Attorney General and Talking Feds host Harry Lippman, and the former Oath Keepers National Spokesman Jason Van Tatenhove. It's an evening that you won't forget. VIP tickets include a signed copy of Michael's new book and a meet-and-greet with Michael before the show. So get your tickets now at thelray.com, T-H-E-E-L-R-E-Y.com. Or find the link on Michael's social media handles or in this episode's description. And now, on with the show. This is my This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Okay. Ballots ready? <laughs> Don't let election day sneak up on you, okay? You go to votesaveamerica.com slash be a voter. Now you may say, Miss Lewis, uh, I don't have time. <laughs> uh-uh, honey. Cause I don't care who you are or where you work. We're approaching Halloween, but nothing is quite as scary as the possibility of losing the midterms, which could so easily happen now that I'm scaring myself just talking about it. Between intimidation and suppression, Republicans are trying to make it impossible for us to vote. But don't let them stop you. Don't let them tell you that the country is suddenly leaning in the Republicans' favor because no one fucking knows what the elections hold. No matter what the polls and pundits say, it ain't over till it's over. But if there was ever a time to worry, it's now. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I'm an American citizen. I pay your salary through the taxes that you collect from me through the IRS because I'm a tax-paying citizen of the United States. So you need to stop being a baby and stop locking your door and come out and face the American citizens that you serve. If you want to be a big girl, you need to get rid of your diaper and come out and be able to talk to the American citizens. Early voter turnout for the midterms is on pace to meet the record-breaking numbers in 2018. As of Wednesday, well over 12 million people had already voted. High numbers of early voting have traditionally been good for Democrats, but let's not take anything for granted. Meanwhile, new reporting points to a rise in efforts to harass and intimidate voters and election workers. The Washington Post says Trump supporters who believe the 2020 election was stolen, which it wasn't, are recruiting poll watchers for battleground states. And Axios reports national extremist groups are working to disrupt the midterms in local communities by signing up as Dropbox watchers. One former Justice Department official says that she has been warning local officials to look out for groups like the Proud Boys. Incidents of voter intimidation have stunned Arizona residents this week. Gun-toting masked Avengers are camped out on lawn chairs and in vehicles, eyeing voters suspiciously as they drop off their ballots. And thanks in part two, True the Vote, an organization whose faulty research was behind the debunked 2000 Mules film. And then a big shout out to Senator Kelly Townsend, who has encouraged residents who want to act on baseless election fraud claims to be voter vigilantes. 
to quote Senator Townsend, we put the word out today that if you're going to come and be like a mule and stuff ballot boxes this time, you're going to get caught. I'm talking about people who have spread lies. To Maricopa County Board Supervisor Bill Look, Gates, a I'm Republican who has who defended the election process, two years of lies have come to this. Why are you in camouflage? From, from what, how, how's that going to keep people from seeing you? You're in a parking lot. We're really losing rationality and logic here. In the Phoenix suburbs, vigilantes film voters getting in and out of their cars and then follow them out of parking lots. Without provocation, mind you, people were just dropping off their ballots and then fucking wham, here come the crazies with cameras and riot gear. In Maricopa County, sheriff's deputies responded to two men armed and dressed in tactical gear, standing watch at a drop box in Mesa, leering at anyone bold enough to actually attempt to drop off their ballot. Election conspiracy theorists like MAGA Mark Fincham, the Republican nominee for Secretary of State, are defending the vigilanteism. In fact, he recently tweeted, in all caps mind you, watch all drop boxes. Period. Save the Republic. I notice you're wearing a Donald Trump 45th president lapel. It's a gift. Is that what this is about? No. It's about having free, fair, transparent, secure elections. The current Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, who is running for governor against Mega Maga witch Carrie Lake, is referring potential voter intimidation complaints to law enforcement. But let us not forget that so many in law enforcement are actually MAGA-identified and on the side of the intimidators, not the voters. So who are you going to call to protect your voter integrity? Ghostbusters? Because the Ghostbusters are more likely to stop the threat of violence to voters than radicalized police. According to Reuters, two in five U.S. voters worry about intimidation at the polls. Now, in case you're wondering, here is a list of unlawful voter harassment. Gathering around ballot drop boxes, questioning voters, brandishing weapons, taking pictures of people voting, and following or chasing voters who are attempting to drop off their ballots. These are small things when you consider what guys like my friend, the late civil rights giant John Lewis went through to vote. So we must vote no matter the circumstance. If for no other reason than to protect the vote for those who fought so hard to win it. And now Republicans on the midterm ballot, like gubernatorial nominee Carrie Lake, are raising doubts about this November's election before a single vote has even been counted. I'm afraid that it probably is not going to be completely fair. I wish I could sit here and say I have complete faith in this system. I don't. And now moving to Georgia. Wednesday, Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff, has finally been subpoenaed by Fulton County DA Fannie Willis to sit before a grand jury investigating Republican efforts to reverse the 2020 presidential election results. But Meadows' testimony will not happen until after the midterms, if at all, because Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas might step in again and shut down any testimony that would implicate his dear election-denying wife, Jeannie Thomas. Thomas stepped in to keep Lindsey Graham from testifying, at least temporarily, on Tuesday in the same case reversing the decision made last week by a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit, 
who, by coincidence, unanimously turned down Graham's attempt to block a subpoena from Willis. Now, Graham claimed that a sitting senator is shielded from testifying in such investigations, which, by the way, is patently fucking false. And that excuse didn't fly with anyone until, of course, he made an emergency appeal to the Supreme Court last Friday, knowing full well that Thomas was the judge who would hear his appeal. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas temporarily blocked testimony from U.S. Senator Lindsey Graham. He acted alone as a justice who handles emergency appeals from Georgia. So this is how it works. His order is meant to keep Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis from compelling Graham to testify while the Supreme Court weighs the senator's request for a longer halt to the court proceedings. DA Willis now has a deadline of Thursday to tell the Supreme Court why Graham should have to answer the jury's questions. Lower courts have already ruled the testimony can actually take place. So first, Justice Thomas has broken the law by not recusing himself in the case. And second, Lindsey Graham's lawyer is none other than the former White House lawyer for Trump, Don McGahn. Yeah, that's the same fucking Don McGahn who worked with the corrupt law firm of Jones Day to engineer the placement of two sitting Supreme Court justices. I'm referring to Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. The cronyism runs deep here, folks, and the MAGA stronghold in the Supreme Court has now become so fucking outrageous, so laughably unethical, that it's impossible to understand how we as a nation can let it stand. The Senate race in Georgia between Reverend Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker is still a dead heat, despite Walker's dubious reputation. He then drove me to the clinic the following day and waited for hours in the parking lot until I came out. He then drove me to get medications and supplies as prescribed, and then drove me home. I was devastated because I felt that I had been pressured into having an abortion. After the abortion, I felt that Herschel began distancing himself from me. Trending on Twitter Wednesday was this statement, and I quote, I want my daughter to grow up in a country where she has at least as many rights as Herschel Walker's girlfriends did. Trending why? Because according to her lawyer, Gloria Allred, yet another woman has come forward alleging that the disgraced football hall of famer drove her to get an abortion while having an affair with him. Walker says of these latest claims that he's tired of the foolishness and that Democrats will do and say whatever they can to win the seat. The elections will tell us if any of this hypocrisy has gotten through to voters. In the meantime, best to warn your daughters that Herschel Walker is just plain bad news. And in Pennsylvania, fueling anxiety for Democrats is Senate contender John Fetterman's performance during his debate against the fucking creepy TV personality and fake Dr. Oz. I'm running to serve Pennsylvania. He's running to use Pennsylvania. Here's a man that spent more than $20 million of his own money to try to buy that seat. I'm also having to talk about something called the Oz rule that if he's on TV, he's lying. He did that during his career on his TV show. He's done that during his campaign about lying about our record here. And he's also lying probably during this debate. And let's also talk about the elephant in the room. 
I had a stroke. He's never let me forget that. Fetterman did the right thing and addressed his stroke right up front. But some polls claim that Oz had won. And the following morning on MSNBC, Andrea Mitchell made a whole meal of Fetterman's disability. And yet, he raked in over a million bucks within hours of walking off the debate stage. And I'm not sure who said it, but debates can be lost with a single statement. And in my opinion, Oz soundly lost the debate with this one. As a physician, I've been in the room when there's some difficult conversations happening. I don't want the federal government involved with that at all. I want women, doctors, local uh, political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive, to put the best ideas forward so states can decide for themselves. I mean, what kind of doctor mocks a stroke victim and doesn't support Roe? I'll tell you, the kind of doctor that your grandparents called a charlatan, and that's who. Dr. Oz has been sued multiple times for libel because his snake oil actually made people sick. And Oz killed God knows how many puppies testing that snake oil out on them. Now Oz has lied about everything from his Turkish citizenship to where he currently lives, which by the way is in New Jersey and not Pennsylvania. Plus. Oz is a Trump supporter and MAGA asshat. So no matter what you think of Fetterman's halted speech, he is better suited to represent Pennsylvania in every possible way. How painful was it to watch a physician who used to fully support every woman's right to make their own reproductive choices say last night in the hope of winning Donald Trump's voters in Pennsylvania that what he called local political leaders should be making that choice for women. How painful was that to watch? There you go, I rest my case. Other debates have also been met with mixed reviews. There have not been many slam dunks, but I'd say Florida's Charlie Chris came closest yet to owning his opponent on the debate stage Monday. Sorry, Ron, you just look like a goddamn fool up there. I thought what the governor did was a horrible political stunt. Um, you know, we have an immigration problem. We have a problem at the border. We need to secure the border. I agree with all of that. But it doesn't mean that you use Florida taxpayers' dollars to charter two jets, go to Texas, lie to people to get them onto planes, fly them up to the northern part of our country, and, and one of them's a one-year-old baby. Another is a pregnant woman. You're willing to use people like that. In this case, they were Hispanics, Venezuelan in particular, and have them as props for your political gain. That's not the way to change policy. You talk about Joe Biden a lot. I understand you think you're going to be running against him. I can see how you might get confused, but you're running for governor. You're running for governor. And I have a question for you. You're running for governor. Why don't you look in the eyes of the people of the state of Florida and say to them, if you're reelected, you will serve a full four year term as governor. Yes or no? Yes or no, Ron? We need to have somebody who is at the helm that understands it's important to listen to science, to do what's right, to utilize common sense. You don't just shut down at the outset and then when it's you know politically convenient for you, you want to open back up the store political. Point. I just think we're better when everybody counts. 
Uh, I understand not everyone's going to be born in perfect circumstances, but I would like to see everybody have a shot. I'm proud of the 15 weeks that we did. I know Charlie Crist opposes that, even though the baby is fully formed, has a heartbeat, can feel pain, and can suck their thumb. I don't want to ban abortion. I want to make sure we keep a woman's right to choose available to the women of the state of Florida. And I want to make sure that we don't have a governor in the future who wouldn't even allow exceptions for rape or incest. In New York, Kathy Hochul, who showed excellent leadership after the Buffalo shootings in July, also showed her skills on the debate stage when she silenced her opponent in the governor's race. I'm referring to extremist and total fucking dork Lee Zeldin. Zeldin has somehow inched past Hochul in the polls. Now, why New York? Why? There are criminals out there who need to pay the consequences for their action instead of the catch-release policies that Kathy Hochul champions. It is a joke to talk about a crime policy that doesn't include doing something about illegal guns. When you had the chance, as a member of Congress, to stand with other Republicans who finally said enough is enough, you were nowhere to be found, Lee. And in similar contentious debate in Michigan between incumbent Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Trump-endorsed election denier Tudor Dixon, both of them accused one another of extremism. But Whitmer landed a blow when she called out Tudor for her draconian views on abortion that would turn Michigan into one of the worst places in the country to be a pregnant woman. In an interview with a conservative online news outlet, Tudor Dixon, the leading candidate to become the Republican nominee for governor, asked about whether a 14-year-old victim of incestuous rape should have access to abortion. Her answer, making national headlines. Perfect example, because I know people who are the product. I'd like this a life for me. That's how it is. Okay. That is for me. That's my feeling. That answer criticized by Democrats, including the Michigan Democratic Party, which said in a statement, her callous remarks are the perfect example of how dangerous Tudor Dixon would be for Michigan families. In other Whitmer news, on Wednesday, three men who supported the efforts to kidnap the governor in 2020 have been convicted on all counts. In a statement after the verdict, Ms. Whitmer lamented the growing threats of political violence against both public officials and everyday citizens, saying, and I quote, they are the logical, disturbing extension of radicalization, hatred, and conspiratorial thinking that festers in America, threatening the foundation of our republic. Now, Governor Whitmer isn't wrong. Let's vote to keep the MAGAs, the radicals, and the extremists out of political power. Let's vote because win or lose, it's the right thing to do. And let's vote while it's still our right to do so. And now for the main event. We'd like to welcome back to our show, my friend, the author and cultural analyst, Molly Jung Fast. She has written extensively about her wildlife as a young girl growing up in New York City at the height of the 90s, and written multiple books, including The Social Climber's Handbook. She currently contributes articles to various publications, including Vogue, The Atlantic, and The Daily Beast. Let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Molly, Welcome back to the show. Let's jump in and talk about the midterms, right? Because obviously it's quickly approaching. And I know that you've been focused on abortion rights, and rightfully so, since long before the Supreme Court overturned Roe. But from what you know, 
Are women and their allies going to vote in the kind of numbers that could potentially reverse that decision? Or are you feeling like things could really go south this election? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think here's the thing. I don't have a crystal ball. And I think especially with the sort of since 2016 polling has not I have not felt very confident in the polls. So my sense is um, that I, I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable guessing is the truth. I do think we saw in the summer in Kansas, we saw a large number of voters. We've seen in the early voting the Democrats are turning out. Um, you know, we were so off on the polls in 2016, off again in 2020. I mean, you know, there were Senate races like in Maine. You had uh, all these polls showing Sarah Gideon was winning and then she just got totally blown out. So I don't I feel like we don't really know. There's a narrative, uh, a media narrative which says it was good for Democrats in the summer and now it's bad for Democrats. But that's based on polling, which, again, we haven't had so much success with. So I, I, I think ultimately what's most important is that people vote and that they get out there and that they're able to vote and that they're not intimidated at drop boxes like what's happening in Arizona. Yeah, it is a real problem. But, you know, I just want to sort of bring to your attention is an article that I saw um, by Reuters, and it came out um, today by Trevor um, Hunnicutt, as well as some others. And it, to me, it's very telling. And he starts off the article, the White House has lowered its earlier optimism, which is what you said, about the midterm elections, and is now worried that Democrats could lose control of both chambers of Congress. This is a real problem. It's a problem because you know as well as I do that the Republicans, and we, it, we it's not like we're guessing, you have people like Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, and others who have already stated this is what the debt ceiling is over. They're not going to pass any increase in the debt ceiling. So the United States, for the first time, will end up defaulting. But more important than that, they've also already begun discussing potential impeachment of both President Biden and Vice President Harris. And friends of mine come to me and say, stop, that's just them speaking. They're just, you know, they're just ratcheting up their base in order to get them to come out. But it's not true. It's exactly what they intend to do. It's almost payback for the twice impeached former guy who actually deserved it. But they don't care about that. This is payback. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that they'll do really crazy stuff. I mean, we've seen the Republican Party, the base of the Republican Party is do crazy stuff, right? Like we've seen what happens with, we have seen that in a number of different, you know, we've seen that in a number of different places. We've seen Marjorie Taylor Greene saying she's going to be the, you know, she wants to be on all the important committees we you know, there's going to be if Republicans take the House, there's going to be a really like a real serious sort of terrifying fight between uh, McCarthy and the MAGA crowd. And McCarthy's pretty MAGA. He's just not completely 
uh, I mean, he's not completely and truly like Marjorie Taylor Greene level unhinged, but uh, you could see, I mean, I, I think that every anxiety Democrats have, I actually think it'll be worse. I mean, if you look at, for example, look at Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is like, can is is much smarter than a lot of the MAGAs, right? He has a lot of training. He has gone to law school. He's gone to Ivy League colleges. He's quite smart. And he went to war with Disney to please the base. So like, it's pretty clear that these people will do a lot of really crazy stuff in order to um, get the base excited. And I think that this stuff is going to be crazy. And I think they will try to impeach people. And I think they will go after private citizens. And I think they will do all the things that Trump did. Yeah, which is exactly what my book Revenge is all about. You know, and I know you've read the book because we've spoken on your pro on your program as well. This is exactly the problem that I that I foresee. And what I hoped my book would do, and it's doing very well, I think we're number eight on the New York Times bestsellers list. What I hope is that everybody reads it so that you see the Trump playbook on what he's going to do if, in fact, he obtains power again. And that power doesn't necessarily have to be as president of the United States. That power can exist with him becoming the power broker, right? The, the guy everybody has to come to to kiss the ring if, in fact, that they want his base. So as long as he controls that base, he has a very significant role in how this GOP, which he, his son Eric, the dumbest asshole I've ever met, and others have all turned around and said that it's no longer the Republican Party. It's now the Trump Party. But another thing that this guy brings up in this Reuters article is that losing control of one or both houses of Congress will profoundly shape the next two years of Joe Biden's presidency. He will become a lame duck president, guaranteed, with Republicans expected to block legislation on family leave, on abortion, policing and other Biden priorities while pushing their new laws to curb immigration as well as spending. And they're going to do that again by, like what I said, limiting the debt ceiling as leverage. This is not how we're going to be able to improve the standing of the United States in the, in the world. We will be relegated to a secondary position simply because we have lost our credibility we will be able to effectuate nothing. And you can rest assured, too, that any money that is being given to Ukraine, any supplies, missiles, weapons, etc., will be cut off by the Republicans as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I mean, I think that for sure that's right. And I think that it's going to be a shit show. It's going to be like what happened to Obama. But if we still have two more weeks, if Democrats can make the case that they deserve to keep these branches because they are ready to work. You know, they have a plan for dealing with inflation and they have a plan for dealing with, you know, cementing our democracy, then maybe they win. I mean, I it's just too soon to really know. I mean, I hope that uh, Democrats are able to, you know, keep some seats. I, you know, it it's a very, I mean, 
The thing is, I think the Republican vision is largely not to have free and fair elections and to be a little bit like, you know, Turkey or one of those countries that has a sort of kleptocracy and not a democracy. And that is, I think, quite scary. Yeah, because it's nothing that we've ever seen in this country before. Getting stuck in Black Friday crowds? Super uncomfortable. Shopping Tommy John's before Black Friday sale? Super duper comfortable. When you give your loved ones Tommy John, they're that much more comfortable so they can do everything better. Shop Tommy John's before Black Friday sale now and give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list, including yourself with Tommy John men's and women's loungewear. With over 18 million pairs sold, giving Tommy John underwear and loungewear has become a holiday tradition. 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. I mean, personally, I love wearing my Tommy John relaxed fit boxers because they're so comfy. So you should get Tommy John too. Celebrate softness season with a gift of Tommy John underwear, loungewear, and pajamas. Every gift's backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. So go now and shop Tommy John's before Black Friday sale going on right now and get 25% off everything at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off for a limited time only at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. See site for details. Hello, I'm Danny Trejo, star of Dia de los Muertos in Hell, a one-of-a-kind horror comedy musical podcast. So let me ask you then this, Molly. What's your take on the debates? Do you think Republicans have successfully, you know, hidden their extremism? What, you, what haven't Democrats been talking about this election cycle that we should have? For example, like Bernie Sanders says, we should have talked more about how Republicans are gunning for our Medicaid and Social Security. Yeah. What else do you think that we should be talking about? So, I mean, Sam, Bernie has a really good point. And, and I think one of the important things about Bernie is that he's able to um, connect with working class voters in a way that other Democrats sometimes have trouble, right? Like you'll see, I mean, a good example, I was sitting on an airplane with a guy and he was saying to me, uh, you know, it, I said he was a Republican, but I said, do you think it's fair that if somebody gets sick, they can lose, you know, you could get cancer and be in debt for the rest of your life. Like, is that fair? And he was like, no, but and I think that's ultimately where Democrats have had a little trouble as being able to say, you know, we are these uh, these are working class values, right? Labor, uh, being able to support your family, have a good job, you know, have a social safety net if something happens, have health care that's affordable. I mean, these are things that Democrats want to give you. These should be things working people want, right? And what do Republicans want to give you? Tax cuts for very wealthy people, right? Uh, tax breaks for corporations in the hopes that that will grow the economy. But it's not proven to grow the economy. And especially in an inflationary environment, tax cuts are kind of the worst thing you can do, as we just saw in the UK. So... Um, I think that ultimately it's quite a 
it's quite a, uh, I want to say, I, I want to say it's a failure on the part of Democrats messaging and a success on the part of Republican messaging. Except we turn around and we see based upon and I'm with you. I disagree with much of the polling, but I do have to say just from casual conversation with people at functions or even if I'm even if I'm sitting like you on an airplane, people they all or the train as I went to do politics and prose for my book. Um, people, they start to talk to you because they recognize you. And they start to give you their opinion. And despite, regardless whether the person's Republican, Democrat, Independent, they are all concerned about the economy. Right. And it seems to be the single most important issue that everybody wants to talk right. about. And, and I try to explain to them, you're making right. a mistake. No, but I think... You don't have an economy if you don't have a democracy. Right. But I think that that's a really important point. And it's okay to meet people where they are, right? You're worried about the economy. You're worried things are more expensive. That's really scary, right? Like your groceries were a certain amount of money and now they're 10%, 15% more. That's scary. Democrats make a mistake when they don't say, we get this. Like, we understand. Yes. Like, the reason that gas is more expensive is because of two things, OPEC and because of the war in Russia, right? The reason why wheat is more expensive is because of the war in Russia. The reason why some of these things are more expensive is because of the supply chain. So, like, if you talk to voters and explain to them, but then you have to have a, then you have to have a plan, right? Then you have to say, this is what we're going to do. And the problem is, inflation is a very tricky, right? So like they're raising the rate, the Fed is raising rates, right? Which will, it is meant to slow inflation, but it also hurts the markets. And so you, it's a very kind of preca precarious dance here. And you have to explain to voters something that's very nuanced, which is very hard. And nuance is not something that voters love. And so because of the cyclical nature of American politics, you know, the pendulum just swings to we want our people, we want people in there, new people to try something different. And and that's, I think, problematic. It's really problematic. You know, I, I got a lot of ribbing. I started talking on my social media platforms that one of the things I think Biden should do, because people are, as you correctly stated, people are very concerned about, for example, gas prices. And because of what's happening between Russia and Ukraine, between now Iran and with Saudi Arabia and OPEC, the price of gas looks like it's going to start climbing again. This country has 360 billion barrels of untapped oil. My belief, what Biden should do, is we should start to open up that, those, you know, those um, uh, pockets of, of oil. Why? And then people say, well, yeah, but if, if you want to protect the environment, if you're really concerned about climate change, which, like yourself, I am, isn't there a responsible way that the United States can do it? My point being, America and the air above it is not isolated and alone. We live on planet Earth. So what China sticks into the air, what Russia sticks into the air, or the OPEC nations stick into the air, it comes to us also, right? We are one earth. And so if there's a way we could do it responsibly, 
as we try to get off of fossil fuels altogether, that's the way to do it. But in the interim, while we are selling the 360 billion barrels of untapped oil, one of the things that we do is we put Putin's dollar source, right? We put his, his, um, his income stream out of business. We do the same thing with the, with the OPEC nations. They are no longer able to make billions of dollars a day by selling oil when we have more than they do and more than Russia combined. That's what I think that politicians should, especially Democrats, we don't come up with answers. We're basically running an election saying, well, this guy is no good because he believes in the Republican values, because he's an election denier. Most people don't give a shit about that. They care about, as you rightly stated, their pockets. They care about how much money that they're going to have for that rainy day when they're going to need to go to a doctor, when they're going to need to pay for medication and so on. And it's, it's a real concern. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I would also say you don't... I would say, look, the ga- we're, we're ultimately trying to get off of fossil fuels, right? I mean, that's the goal for all of us, right? We're trying to get into a cleaner. I mean, it's like the transition from coal, right? This is a slow transition. It's very expensive. It has to happen. It's just a question of when. So I would say the problem with this OPEC situation is we need the gas now. There is a strategic reserve. Biden is tapping it. There is, there could be, America does have fuel. You know, there's places to drill. The problem with ultimately things like fracking is like fracking is very, fracking like coal ends up being very expensive. So even though it's also bad for the environment and it causes all sorts of problems with the, you know, the water being on fire and it's also just a gazillion dollars and it doesn't make any sense. And The thing about oil is that oil is very because it's, you know, it's this sort of price fixing scheme the way that OPEC has it. Oil can be very expensive. It can be very cheap. And so you start making this very expensive, bad for the environment oil, then you're stuck with it. And so I would say, look, we need more wind. We need more solar. We need more very, I mean, I know this is going to sound controversial, but if you want a clean energy that you can have right away, it's nukes. I mean, there certainly is a place for nuclear energy. I mean, I don't think it's small reactors. I think it's probably something more controlled, but for sure. And it's a real problem. I mean, the one thing I would say, and I don't think this makes people who can't heat their homes any happier, but in the in Europe, they're having a much worse problem than we are. And while, again, I don't know that that comforts anyone. It, it is still very relevant, relative, this experience. It's very true. Re- really true. So let me ask you this then, Molly. What's your favorite, or I shouldn't say favorite, what's your most closely watched midterm race and why? Well, the races that I'm worried about, the races where I'm like, this could matter for 24 and beyond are the governorship in Arizona, Carrie Lake, the governorship in Wisconsin, that's the Tony Ivers race. And there are a couple of other like the Nevada governorship. Those are races where You have election deniers running for governor and for the lower offices. 
election deniers win those elections, you may never have free and fair elections in those states. And that, I think, is an unfixable problem, right? Once you get down to that, there's nowhere to go but bad from there. So that is quite worrying to me. Um, The other races that I'm watching are like watching, um, you know, that the a couple of these Senate races, I think Maggie Hassan is okay in uh, New Hampshire, but there's um, there are a couple of races, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Nevada, again, Georgia. Georgia. I mean, so I think that, you know, watching the Senate is certainly important. Um, you know, I'll be curious. Grassley may not get elected, reelected. I mean, that's the thing is like the polling is so all over the place and I just don't trust the polls. So my sense is I just sort of want to see what happens. Let's break it down for a second. First of all, there's 199 election deniers on the ballot right now. 199, and I'm not referring to senators or congressmen or governors. They're throughout the entire system. 199, and you're right. If we lose a right, like Roe versus Wade, you're never getting it back. Not at least in my lifetime. That's just how it works. You're not going to see it. And then all that happens is you start to lose more and more rights. Right. So if people... This creates a secondary problem. So let's like, for example, take a look at the Georgia race between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. So in one case, you have a pastor. You really do have a man who has faith, right? He has God in his life. And then you have Herschel Walker, who, like his, you know, former boss with the generals, right, when he played for the USFL, He's just a fucking liar. And now there's another, there's another uh, scenario coming out, which is there's a young lady who he drove for an abortion. Now, I'm a firm believer. You do you and let me do me. And if his position today is anti-abortion, but it used to be, you know, um, pro-life, or got that backwards. If today he's pro-life, whereas before he was pro-choice, I'm okay with that too. People are permitted to change. You grow, something happened in your life right. that made you want to change. That's all acceptable. But not when you lie about it. Not when you turn around and you you know, threaten to kill your own family. This is not somebody who belongs in the people's house, making decisions. Why? Because he was a phenomenal football player? Or because Republicans want to take over the Senate because they have a bigger, right? They have a bigger play here. And so they're willing to back somebody who lies. Well, that's what they said. threatens to kill his own. Well, cor- right. well it's correct. He said what? No, I mean, that's what Dana, Lo- Dana Loesch said, right? She said that you, she didn't care if he'd paid for abortions as long as he got them control of the Senate. Correct. And how do you govern a country under that ideology that it doesn't make a difference who's going to be the senator of the state of Georgia so long as that we control the Senate so that we could destroy Biden and Harris, we could stop them from doing anything 
And we could then not only file impeachment, but we could also convict as well. That's the game plan here. And it's not just Georgia. You see the same thing in Pennsylvania between, you know, Fetterman now and Oz. This is another problem. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, the it, it seems to me that Republicans have not a ton of policy, right? They want power. They want to get Trump back in office. They want to not have elections the way we've had them before. Whatever that looks like seems like it would look like not free and fair. Uh, and they want to do that now. I mean, I don't know if there's any more to it, but it is quite disturbing. Um, and, you know, I don't know. They'll do whatever they can to get there. I, I mean, the question I think is, does the MAGA base understand that the I mean, in some ways, it's it is funny. It's like MAGA has actually grown without Trump, right? That it's sort of the worst pieces of Trumpism have continued on and sprung and flowered into MAGA. And that's something that, again, Eric Trump had brought out when he said that the Republican Party is no longer the Republican Party, but it's the Trump Party. And I agree with you on this as well. Their goal is to figure out how to keep Donald Trump relevant in the party not for him to be behind the Lincoln desk. Right. That's not what they want. They want him to be there as a power broker, giving him things that he may need, like to destroy a few more U.S. citizens that he has an axe to grind with, but rather so that the money doesn't stop, that he continues to grow the base of support so that, you know, they have what they need in order to keep winning elections. That's really what this is all about. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and they're willing to burn the country down in order to, you know, in order to achieve this goal. Well, in their minds, and you saw this with CPAC, when CPAC had, I think they had one of these uh, autocrats speak, they love an autocrat, right? They love the idea, you know, I mean, that's why they sort of took an, a pro-Putin stand with Putin's annexation and of Ukraine, because they think that, you know, a friendly autocrat will sort of protect them. And uh, it's quite uh, it's quite strange and scary. And, you know, it is just completely I mean, I I'm disappointed that it's happening, but it's not so surprising. Yeah, well, here's another thing that's not so surprising. The anti-Semitic comments that Kanye or Ye, right, has been making are really part of a much larger and a very disturbing trend in the country right now. My opinion is it took Adidas too long to drop him. More importantly, the question I really want to ask you where are the Republicans? I mean, they haven't said a single thing in defense of Jews, even though so many Jews are really Trump supporters. Well, that is an interesting thing, right? Because around the same time that Kanye said this thing about Jews, you had Trump with a similar tweet about Jews saying, you know, I've done so much for Israel. For Israel. These Jews should be grateful. 
they should be grateful before it is too late, right? Which is, I mean, that's the same level of anti-Semitism as Kanye's tweet, which said something to the effect of, you know, we've been, I mean, some other anti-Semitic trope. But yeah, I mean, look, you have a uh, a problem in the Republican Party is they want to have it both ways. They want they want Jews, but they also want anti-Semites. And so they're walking this delicate line where they're not going to disavow anti-Semitism and they because they don't want to lose the really racist people. And that's why, I mean, you see that with Trump all the time, you know, and uh, and they're not and they don't want to piss off Trump. Right. So they don't want to disavow his anti-Semitic statements. So you have a situation where Adidas has more moral, I mean, and they took too long, but they have more moral clarity than the GOP. Isn't that sad? I mean, it's really sad. Gap, one, two, three, put an end to it. This is a very big problem for, for Kanye, by the yeah. way. You know, um, you know, many times he has gone out and he has said things, including to me personally, where he would say, you know, I want to be a homeless billionaire. And I said to him, I don't even understand what that means. Um, you know, he wants to own nothing, uh, wants to still have, of course, the money that's there, but he doesn't want to have ties to anything. Doesn't want to have houses, doesn't want to have um, any, any sort of property. And so, well, don't worry, my friend, because it looks like you're going to get your wish now. Yeah. The, the way that his net worth was calculated, it was calculated on the future sales of his Yeezy brand, which he owns the Yeezy brand, but it's manufactured by Adidas. So now he's going to think he's going to go out and manufacture them somewhere himself and then do a, um, a B2C type of event where he'll warehouses and send out the products himself, cut Adidas out. He has no idea what he's up against. He tried to do it as well with his clothesline, but then ended up going to Gap, which then had a uh, collaboration with Balenciaga. All of that is gone. And what that did is that gave him a pretty big annual income. His real money is not generated from his music, right? Mm-hmm. His real money was generated from, you know, from this. And to turn around and to give that up when you have the opportunity that 99.999% of this country would die for simply by making these sort of stupid anti-Semitic comments mm-hmm. while, you know, you're imbalanced, just to me, it really makes no sense. But I will tell you something that I have noticed, because now I'm all over the social media, whether it's Instagram, on TikTok, um, you know, Twitter, and I start to see more and more black people coming out and attacking Kanye for these comments. I mean, it's almost like every other TikTok is a member of the black community coming out and disavowing these statements. And I will tell you what this has done. This is my opinion. I believe that it has made the bond that should have always existed between Jews and blacks more, more, more connected and stronger than ever before. And then I was speaking with my father, you know, and he was saying to me, you know, a lot of people don't remember that standing right next to Martin Luther King, and there was a gentleman on TikTok, I I really wanted to find it, and I was going to post it. 
He gave a historical perspective on the struggle for civil liberty, for civil rights between Jews and blacks going back to 1909. But something many people forget is that there was a rabbi who was very involved with, for example, Martin Luther King, Rabbi Dresner, Israel Dresner, who was from New Jersey, Wayne. And when they, you know, these white supremacists, these racist bastards were spitting on Martin Luther... Um, when, you know, when they were spitting on Martin Luther King as he would walk, they were spitting on Rabbi Dresner as yeah. well. And this struggle for civil, for civil rights has always been combined between the uh, black community and the Jewish community. And I believe that what Kanye actually did, if he meant to do it intentionally or not, what he did is he solidified the relationship. And my hope is that as communities, we do stay bonded together yeah. because together we are definitively stronger together than we are separated yeah yeah no i agree i totally agree well that was just my you know my two second rant so look we both come from families who immigrated to this country at some point and truth be told so have most americans right. but people seem to have forgotten this now you said in a recent article that unimaginable cruelty happens when we lose touch with our humanity. We're obviously there now, but why do you think that it's happening? And why have we lost our humanity? Well, I don't think that everybody's lost their humanity, but I th certainly think that these kind of stunts with migrants, which is what I was writing about there, are a kind of dehumanizing experience, right? You're taking people who are coming to this country seeking asylum, and you're saying, you know, you are not a person, you are a political pawn, I will slap you around, fly you here, fly you there. I mean, I was writing there about DeSantis flying these migrants to Martha's Vineyard, which is where Barack Obama has his has a home. And the idea there was that somehow, uh, you know, that that um that Ron DeSantis was sticking it to Obama. Um, and, you know, he took uh, these migrants who had come, you know, had hiked hundreds of miles through perilous uh, deserts and rivers and, you know, a very dangerous trip, uh, risked their lives, got to Texas. He got them from Texas, brought them to Florida, and then dropped them off in Martha's Vineyard. And he did it to show that he, you know, was anti-immigrant and that he, you know, wanted to stick it to the libs. And I thought that that kind of behavior is really, really dangerous. So, Molly, though, why stick it to Obama? You're right, because that's why they sent these migrants to Martha's Vineyard. But why stick it to Obama? Another, first of all, he's not an immigrant, despite, you know, the, yeah. you know, the uh, Trump comments um, he was born in Hawaii, part of America. And so what is this never-ending assault upon President, former President Obama that everybody sort of has to, has to give it to him? We saw Trump decide that he wanted to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, was unable to do it, and he legitimately wanted to wipe Obama's name out of the annals of history. And it appears that DeSantis is playing to the exact same playbook that Donald Trump did. 
And again, going after Obama, whether it is, you know, openly as Trump did or sort of latently as DeSantis did by sending these people to where Obama has a home. Why did they do it? Because they're racist and because a lot of Republicans live in Nantucket. And so and Martha's Vineyard has much more of a mix of liberals and Democrats and, you know, uh, and so I think that's ultimately why they did it, though I could be wrong. I mean, I think that the the situation with Obama was uh, that Republicans got really mad that uh, there was a black president and that's it. He was a good president. He was quite smart. He was an extremely compelling speaker. He was happily elected by many Americans. And I think that the people for whom who feel like globalization is leaving them behind, those people decided that um, he was, you know, that something, you know, there was some, you know, but this is racism. I mean, you see what and, you know, came from I mean, Trump is an outpost you know, he's an outgrowth of birtherism, right? So that's what these people were, is this kind of racist group who didn't want to see Black people succeeding and getting the highest offer, office in the land. And they were just furious. And so, ergo, they elected this person who who had a whole racist lie about Barack Obama. And I don't know that there's much more to it, honestly. How sad is that, right? I mean, the goal is to find the individual who can do the best for not just the country, but whether it's a, a black CEO or a white CEO or a brown CEO, it makes no difference as long as the company or the country succeeds. I mean, isn't that supposed to be? Could you imagine you get onto an airplane, you're going to head from New York to Florida, and by coincidence, both pilots happen to be black. And you're one of these white supremacist, you know, um, birtherism believers. You want the plane to crash? Is that, your, is that your, your goal? Is that how stupid that you possibly are? That because you're being, you know, flown there by two black pilots that you want the plane to, you know, to crash? That's how stupid these people are. Now, look, I voted for Obama as well. Do I agree with everything, all of his policies? Absolutely not. Do I disagree with every single thing that Trump did? No, I do not. But I'm looking more at the totality of the individual. It's not just about passing legislation. It's about how you conduct yourself, how you make the American people feel so that you and I, who may be on different sides of the aisle. We can still communicate with one another. We could still coexist with one another without wanting to destroy one another. And that's what Trump brought to the table. This anger, this hatred, this racism, this misogyny, this anti-Semitism, this anti-Muslim, this anti-black rhetoric. That's what he did. And the fact that people would still want somebody like this in office leads me to believe that they would rather see the country burn down than to progress and become the greatest nation in the world 10 times over. 
Well, I also being led by people of color. I also think that they are afraid, right? They're afraid of what, uh, of like, you know, of progress, of what the country looks like. I mean, a good example is right now we have this very, very tight labor market, which is increasing inflation, right? It's good because wages are going up. So working people have more. But unfortunately, it creates a cycle of inflation. So labor market, you could loosen the labor market by fixing the immigration problem, right? If you decide you're going to make a path right now, there really isn't a path to citizenship. If you're going to make a path and you're going to legally take in people the way Ronald Reagan wanted to, you could ease inflation and you could make, you know, labor cheaper and have, I mean, one of the really the the countries that have had this sort of economic slowdowns, the worst have been countries that have not had have not had immigration. So this immigration debate is really psychologically, these people think immigrants are taking their stuff. But realistically, they need immigrants to grow. The economy needs labor. And so that is why this is all so preposterous. But again, like this is the problem with messaging. Republicans are able to message to these people and say, yeah, yeah, we're not going to let them get any of your stuff. And Democrats are not able to make their case, even though they have a much better case. And so that's how we end up with Republicans sweeping, you know, theoretically anyway. Well, look. I'm sure that the gun-toting vigilante sitting in front of the polling places and intimidating voters in places like Arizona aren't going to be the only deterrents to voting this election. What do you predict happens when someone like, um, say, Carrie Lake won't accept the election results, which she already stated that she won't if she loses? She said she'll only except if she wins, which is like so profoundly Trumpy. Um, no, I think we're going to have a terrible midterms. I mean, I think that it's going to be weeks and weeks of people fighting over this. And ultimately, I don't know how it plays out, right? I mean, I'm glad we have a president who is normal and who just wants to keep things normal because that, I mean, if Trump were president and we were going to these midterms, who even knows what would happen, right? I mean, we've seen him use, as you wrote about in your book, use the federal government to hurt people, to, you know, create a sort of crazy environment. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know, you know. Well, I I need you to know because that's why I, you know, that's why I have you. You know, I, I say this and I don't say this lightly and I am one who respects my elders, you know, I, you know, was wild about my grandparents, especially my grandpa, while he while he was alive. And, you know, I think the world of you know older people, because they have a certain way about them, they have experience, they have history that they are able to to use in order to do things. However, you know, there's a word that I came across, a buddy of mine sent it to me. It's called um, gerontocracy. Mm. And gerontocracy, to those who don't know what it means, it's a state society or group governed by old people, right? And it's government based on the rule by old people. I think we're in a very bad place when you're looking at, let's just say potentially, you know, another Joe Biden, Donald Trump, 
election. Each one of them will be at least 80 years old. Biden, um, a couple of years older. Personally, I would like to see somebody much younger. I'd like to see almost like an American Zelensky step up. And I think we have many Zelenskys, uh, you know, in Congress right now and available to run this country in a way that is not so ingrained into what we did yesterday. Things are changing. Our world is changing. Science is changing. Um, Technology is changing. You know, uh, economies are changing. The world is changing. And we really need somebody younger, more in touch with the world as opposed to this same it's if that cycle happens a trump uh you know versus biden two happens it's sad because it's we already know what we're gonna get that's the problem we need new blood coming in this way of republicans and democrats already knowing who they want to be the candidate and pushing only for them and pushing other people out. And then the people that we seem to be looking at, could you imagine if it's going to be, for example, Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene as his vice president? I read an article that, you know, he's considering Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, that would almost be as stupid as when they had uh, Sarah Palin as vice president. I think it's I mean, a little it's, scarier she is, than Sarah Palin. It's scary. It's really scary. Yeah. Well, listen, I don't have I'm not a prognosticator, but you know, <laughs> yeah. in terms of which one is more scary they're, they're yeah. as you said, they're equally scary and they're equally stupid. But that's the pool that Donald Trump will be looking for. And yeah. that's dangerous to this country. So let me ask you this, then, Molly. Worst possible scenario is that we lose everything and that we have to rebuild. Where, in your opinion, should liberals then start? Well, that's a hard question. I mean, Liberals should work on their state parties. Democrats have been really bad about building up state parties. Republicans have been very smart about that. State parties are the mechanism where you where states register voters. They make sure that elections happen the way they're supposed to. They, you know, they help the create the bench of talent in the state. Or a state like Florida, which has a really good candidate, right? A really, really good Senate candidate, Val Demings, raised a ton of money. One of those once-in-a-lifetime candidates. Val Demings is having trouble because the state party in Florida is weak, right? Doesn't have the Democratic state party, doesn't have all the funding and resources and people it needs to register voters and grow the Democratic Party in that state. For example, Wisconsin has a new state party head who's amazing. Um, He's worked really hard to grow the Democratic Party in that state. That includes finding talent, growing the bench, registering voters. So Democrats should... I always feel like Democrats are more into like exciting races and they should be into growing their state parties, registering voters, doing the sort of boring nuts and bolts work that helps parties win elections. 
Yeah. I mean, look, we can use the same example and talk about Florida when you have Charlie Chris and you have uh, Ron DeSantis. We already know Ron DeSantis's position. Now, of course, you know, Charlie Chris is not a new uh, he's not a newbie to, you know, politics, but at least we know where each of them stand. And yet and yet Florida seems to be swinging to the to the Republican side. They seem to be swinging red. And it blows my mind when I start to hear about all of, for example, the Cuban Americans that have now gone full board Republican. And I don't know, is it because of the money that they're making? Because they are a very successful group. Do they not care about women's rights? Do they not care about, you know, um, democracy? especially coming from where they came. So what I would say about Cuba is that the Cuban immigrants uh, have, you know, have have thought of Castro, even though he is really a ruthless autocrat as being on the left. So that is why they tend to vote Republican is because the sense from them, because Cuba, because Cuba was a, co- a communist country, though I think at this point you could call it an autocracy, that there's a certain anxiety that Democrats will do that. Now, remember, there are many more uh, right-wing autocrats than left-wing autocrats, but in Cuba that certainly was the case. And so I think it's ultimately much more of a reaction than anything. It's not a huge group of people. And I do think the Democrats could effectively explain the difference between them and Castro, which is pretty enormous. But I mean, I, it's kind of a knee jerk thing. Molly, hold on. Is there really a difference between a left wing autocrat or a right wing autocrat? Are you not just a simply a fucking autocrat? Well, I mean, what's, these, I, 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 mean I don't get that. It, it, I, I don't either. But in but a lot of the Cuban refugees who came over really hate Castro with good reason. And they consider Castro to be on the left. And that influences their voting. I mean, I, would, would they not then turn around? And if I sat with with one of these members and I said to him, who would you describe personality wise closer right, to Castro, Trump or Biden? I mean, the answer to me is so crystal clear. And I'm not saying it because I have tremendous disdain for Trump, right? I just don't see how you look at Joe Biden in any case, whether left, right, as an autocrat. I don't no, see him it, as an autocrat at all. certainly not an autocrat, but the uh, unfortunately, there's like a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, look. The the reality is like a lot of these people who came from Cuba had these very traumatic experiences, you know, leaving Cuba. And so that that's sort of how they process it. Look, immigration, uh, you know, a lot of immigrants, my great grandparents came over here. My great grandparents, my great grandparents came over here and they were super traumatized, too. I mean, you know, I don't know that there's a ton of. But look, uh, some of these Cubans are also just very right wing. But I do think there is some uh, tie to Castro. Well, then let me ask you this. Have the events since 2016 and the Trump era began set women back indefinitely? 
Or do you see Trumpism and the MAGA movement as temporary setbacks? Because when you look and you start seeing, like in Iran, these Iranian women right. taking off their hijabs and fighting the system, right? They're, you know, are they, does this help to encourage or to terrify? Or is it more like a little of both? Well, I think what's happening in Iran is amazing and very exciting. And also these women are incredible. They're super brave and we're very lucky. Uh, I think we're quite lucky to be, you know, I mean, they're very, very brave. I would say what has happened in America, losing Roe is not temporary. That's forever, right? We will never have... Mm -hmm that right of reproductive freedom again. And even if you codify it, it's still not protected the same way. Also, we now know that this Supreme Court is quite committed to coming after all of these things. So yes, I would say that that is really problematic. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there are certainly, it's exciting what's happening with those women. And I hope that it works. And I hope that they get to have a country that's a democracy. You know, it's an interesting phenomenon what's going on there because while their theocracy would lead them to really punish these women right. and, you know, including by death. Right, right, right. If you do this, if you do this to enough of the female population in Iran, you will have a zero population growth and the entire community dies. Yeah. So, you you know, that's the benefit, right? The, without women, you're not creating life on this planet. You're not continuing. So if they end up killing these women, these brave women over wearing a hijab, um, you know, eventually there will be no women, right, yeah. for them to marry, and there will be a slowdown in, in birth. Yeah. So they're really, I mean, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. All of this stuff, I mean, we were just talking about it, you know, and all these, you know, this anxiety, this economic anxiety, right, that people talk about, which is like code for racism, right? In 2017, when they were doing this postmortem on the election, they would say, there are these white people who have economic insecurity, right? And fundamentally, it was, you know, a coded word for racism. Now, here we are, and the reality is these racism is actually kind of the worst thing you can have for the economy, right? Like, if you just want to be, I mean, it's bad morally, it's bad spiritually, it's bad in every way, shape, and form, but it's also economically very bad, right? Like, countries with low immigration have a slowed economy, which ends up meaning less money, which ends up meaning less manufacturing. I mean, so some of this is like you, you know, it's just in people's self-interest that they, um, you know, behave like people. Yes, though, I think we'll both agree that immigration has been a problem for a very long time. This isn't something new. And I do believe that Every administration has to figure out um, immigration, how to make it easier if you're, you know, to come into this country for whatever the reasons may be. That's just my opinion. You're right. My father, as I told you, you know, is I'm first generation American. Um, you know, my grandmother came from Argentina. Right. My, 
you know, I, and my father from Poland. I mean, just my whole family came from different parts of the world. But let me ask you this question, because I know you've written about the rise and fall of Rudy Kaludi, <laughs> drunken Giuliani in the <laughs> yes. past. All right. It's a starting career trajectory that has only gone from bad to worse. Yeah. But how much further do you think that Rudy can fall now? And how come he hasn't been charged? I think he's going to get charged. I mean, I can't imagine he doesn't get charged. I I think, I don't know, with Rudy, I feel like, I feel kind of, I don't know, it's such a complicated situation because I feel almost a little bit bad for him because it's like, not me. He's so, it's so grim how he's ended up. It really is proof that everything Trump touches dies. Well, it's actually everything Trump touches turns to shit, <laughs> um, not dies. I mean, that, that's somebody else's book. Right. But look, it's not just Rudy um, that, you know, he's been, um, there's, there's no, there's no case yet. There's no uh, trial yet that has held him accountable for all of his actions. The same thing holds true for Matt Gates and about right. a half a dozen other politicians. And I don't understand it. And something I talk about again in Revenge, which is my entire case started and finished in 48 hours. So our Department of Justice has the ability to wrap their arms around him and squeeze the life out of him if they really want and force him to plead. The same way that they do to, you know, the same that they did to me, the same that they do to, you know, mem- uh, you know, uh, low income uh, defendants, right? They really know how to put the, the full court right, press on you. Sure. But with Rudy, with Gates and so many others, they just don't do that. They allow them to slide. And the problem with allowing them to slide is, again, it undermines the legitimacy of our Justice Department. Yeah. And more than that, if they're all playing the same Trump game, which is delay, 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 and there's a change in the representation in the House and then the Senate, there's a possibility that there will be no case brought against them at all. Which means that there are people that are above the law. And the, basically, the people who are above the law are the people that are in power. The ones that should be respecting what we, we, the, the voters, the citizens of America, gave them the right. Yeah. It's wrong. Yeah. It's totally wrong. So look, Molly, our goes by quick here on Mea Culpa. I end all my shows with the same thing. One last question for you. Early in the summer... You wrote an excellent piece for Vogue. I think it was entitled, My Kids Want to Know If Everything's Going to Be Okay. Now, a lot has happened since you wrote that piece. So what do you think now? Is everything going to be okay? That's a good question. Um, I think everything is, I, I don't know, is the truth. I think that we're in a better place with the pandemic, certainly, which is great. You know, is it solved? No. But is it a little bit better? Yes. So that I think is good. Um, I think that we're going to have a lot of turmoil in this country for a while. Um, And will that be okay? It will not be okay for everyone. So the answer is probably some combination of both. You know, it will both be okay and not okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that well, very solid answer on that Anytime, one so man. look let me just say so you know look yesterday i was on um your new podcast so yes, congratulations on that on apple right it's an yeah, apple it's podcast it's actually um iheart radio i apologize on iheart radio 
and it's called Fast, Fast Politics. Politics. Yeah. So it's Fast Politics with Molly Junkfest, and it is an iHeart radio podcast, but you can get it where wherever all Anywhere. podcasts are pla- are platformed. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Very, it was, look, I had a good time, you know, with you. I thought it was very interesting. Is there anything really quick you want to tell my listeners about it? I have the vice president Harris on. Very excited uh, today. I've had. Um, I also have Andrew Ross Sorkin. Super interesting group. Uh, so tune in. Alrighty. Well, I certainly will, and I certainly recommend it. And I thank you for. I thank you for joining me, as always, here on Maya Culpa. And, you know, I certainly hope that the country is going to be okay because I don't see it going that way. And I always refer to what's happening as almost bringing us closer to a Gilead situation from The Handmaid's Tale. And it's very, very nerve-wracking. And I have children that are older. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I would be saying to them if they were, you know, not... Um, you know, not of age and that they were children because I can assure you the country that we grew up knowing and loving the country my father used to always refer to as the greatest country in the world. The only place that, you know, he would ever want to live um, is not the same country. And I'm scared for the younger generation, mm-hmm. and that's why I beseech every single person li- uh, listening to this, um, if you haven't voted already, make sure that you vote. Make sure that you get um, active with your local Democratic Party. Uh, make sure you do everything that you can do, because it's the only way that we're going to save this democracy. And once it's gone, as Molly and I both said, it's gone. And it's going to be, if not impossible, virtually impossible to return. So the question is, are you for democracy or are you for autocracy? Because that's really where I believe we're at right now. Yeah. Thank you. Well, again, thank you, Molly. Great seeing you. Great speaking to you. And I will see you very soon as well. And now for today's mea culpa. It seems like Joe Biden can't catch a break no matter what he does. It's just never enough. Unlike Trump, who got away with fucking murder, any misstep or inaccurate calculation Biden makes is put on blast. Like his most recent deal gone bad with the Saudis. Biden made an attempt to bring gas prices down and negotiate with a terrorist. I mean, what else do you call a ruthless leader like MBS but a terrorist? I'm sure Biden hated every fucking minute of dealing with that schmuck and his cronies, but he did it for the American people. Why? Because gas prices matter to most of us. Pain at the pump is real. And inflation hurts, but not as much as the end of democracy will hurt. And that's what we can expect should the midterms turn into a red wave shit show. I actually think if we lose the House or the Senate, or God forbid both, it will be the end of America as we know it. I'm not a doomsday predictor, I'm more cautiously optimistic, and I can't tell you what's going to happen, but what I will tell you is I'm scared, I'm fucking scared, that if we don't all vote for people who will protect our rights and not undermine them, we will be in a word, fucked. Making this election a referendum on Biden is a mistake. I mean, let's be real. Biden's doing a fine job compared to his predecessor. The referendum should be on Trump. 
He has refused to accept his loss. He has turned citizen against citizen because of a lie that he just won't quit. A lie he and his ill continue to foment and act on. The current voter intimidation bullshit is a direct result of his big fat fucking lie. What kind of a coward brings down an entire nation because he can't admit failure? You know who? Trump! That's who! So if you need to blame anyone for the state of America today, it's him! And the way to vote him out of office is to vote out his enablers, his sycophants, and his acolytes. Anyone that Trump has endorsed is with him. If they win, Trump wins. It's just that simple, folks. So, now you're sitting there thinking, Oh shit, I only have my one vote. How can I keep Trump from killing America with one vote? Well, that's a good question, and let me give you the simple answer. Check out Call to Activism. They are Democrats who have stopped playing nice and are doing their damnedest to defend America from MAGA, from Fox News, and the NRA. Their main objective is to crush the GOP in November. It's an excellent objective, and I support their efforts wholeheartedly. That's calltoactivism.com and on Twitter, at calltoactivism. There you'll find ways to help you circumvent a freakout by helping Democrats win. Also, you know my friends at Midas Touch have tons of ways to donate and get out the vote. That's MidasTouch.com. We are so close now, but there are more that needs to be done. So don't sit idle, don't despair, get to work, get to the polls, take your friends, take your family, take anyone. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. This is-